Hi guys, it's Kara, host of Everyone's Business But Mine. And let's be real, one thing that makes the show possible is by selling sponsorships to advertisers. One way you can support us in getting more sponsors is by telling us a little bit more about yourself. You can do that by filling out a quick survey at the link in the show description. Plus, your answers are anonymous. They'll help us learn what you love most about the show and how to make it even better. The questions will ask you about the things that help advertisers understand the audience. It'll only take a few minutes, and it's an easy way to help the show. So you can find the link in the show description. Thank you so much, and stay tuned for the rest of the show. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Do you feel like, though, the reasons that she's, you know, calling an end to it is just that one anxiety attack and then the one disagreement you had the day before? I don't know. I I'm can't, not saying I... that you have to want to know why. Or maybe you already know why. Maybe why? subconsciously you already did kind of maybe see it coming and you guys were having some more relationship issues than we knew about. I'm sure it's a, uh, a culmination of many things, you know? We've certainly had some tiffs, but uh, I, didn't, I didn't experience them the same way that she did. How do we even know she had an anxiety attack? Nobody was there. Do you believe it? No, I don't. You don't believe it at all? No. You think there was no anxiety attack? Welcome to another episode of Everyone's Business But Mine with me, Cara Berry, 90 Day Fiance, Sister Wives, and now Seeking Sister Wife Edition. You guys were free. We're almost at the goalpost. We are really at the finish line of 90 Day Fiance and my 90 Day Fiance um, journey as it stands. If you guys didn't hear... I, I can't talk about happily ever after you guys truly I've said it before and I'll say it again. It's like they chose every possible couple that I did not want. And then they put them all on a show. If you think for one second that I'm going to waste what is left of my life, talk about talking about Tiffany and Ronald and their back and forth junior high level maturity relationship. I'll be damned. I'll be damned. So with that, what's going to be happening moving forward is that the Wednesday episodes, I will finish with uh, 90 Day Fiance next week. It's a two-hour tell-all on, on Sunday. 
there's probably not going to be a whole lot to talk about. That'll be quick. And then I'll be switching over to Sister Wives and Seeking Sister Wife. Wow. I watched the first two episodes of season three. Whew. Woo, woo, woo. Um, so I'll be talking about those two shows later. But now let's just get 90 Day Fiance over with, shall we? I don't know, like... You know how when your DVR records something and then it records over like longer than you think because maybe there's a rerun and the the DVR gets confused about it being a new show. Am I what what was that? What did we watch? Because it felt like an hour finale of 90 Day Fiance and then another hour of Yara and Jovi's baby special. Something that they don't, like, TLC doesn't typically bestow on 90 Day Fiance. It's really more of like a counting on situation. You know, all those little J's get all the, the uh, baby specials. Every time they're popping one out, it's like every 15 minutes, there's another baby special. So I was shocked that they dedicated so much time. To me, it's like, if you guys don't have the footage for everybody... Like, just wrap it up. We can just, we're fine with an hour. I don't feel like anybody would complain. So let me just get through these people. I'm going to do Yara and Jovi last because, I mean, we got so much, so much content on them. Let's start with Mike and Natalie. Um, They've decided, well, Mike, Mike has decided in the very last minutes, hours, till, um, the popo and immigration were to come knocking on his trailer. He decides, okay, I guess I want to marry you, Natalie. I guess we'll do that. A producer asked Natalie, like, why are you so hesitant? And I'm thinking, bitch, don't you know the answer to that? But anyway, she says, honestly, she doesn't know how she feels except for the fact that everything that could have gone wrong in the situation did. And she feels sad about it. She basically says, that she is still in limbo. She's like, I'm holding my breath here. I, until we say those words, I'm not in the clear here. You know, I've got one, you know, I haven't unpacked from the first time. Well, the second time, you know, cause I'm not sure. I might have to haul all my pieces of luggage back in the back of Tamara's Dodge, you know, Geo Metro or whatever again. And you know, we'll just see. We will all see. <laughs> um, she basically says, like, she knows for a fact that if Mike, if they had the option of waiting longer, if they weren't operating under the restrictions of this 90-day visa, that she knows for a fact that Mike would not marry her right now. So she's quaking in her white Reeboks. Speaking of white Reeboks, that's exactly what she wore Listen, I understand she did not get the dress. Ah, gosh, do you think that Mike is so cheap that he, like, completely emotionally manipulated her all of these three months just so he could get a cheap wedding? <laughs> because he knew that she wasn't going to leave? Ooh, sick. Um, I don't really know if that's, you know, that's just a theory. But it's something to think about. Something for us all to think about. Anyway, she didn't get a wedding dress. But she's like, you know what? I didn't really get anything that I wanted for this wedding, but it really doesn't matter because the only people who are going to see this are Bo, Tamara, some random man who was like out of just out of camera shot. But I saw his blue shirt. No idea who that man was. 
um, and the officiant and, you know, all, all of America. So she's like, you know, I have a white dress that I brought over from Ukraine. It's just a simple summer dress, whatever. I'll wear it. Um, now she says that she's so overwhelmed and like the only thing that'll make her feel better is if Mike says I do. Right. So they go out to the backyard, you know, she takes that just romantic walk from, you know, the back of the trailer to the backyard and they say, I do, you know, you guys know that I don't really give a shit about the vows. (laughs) I really don't care. Um, But, you know, I definitely wasn't paying attention this time because what we could see is my Uncle Bo, okay? America's Uncle Bo, America's sweetheart, like Meg Ryan, eat chalk, you know? Um, Uncle Bo's arrived. So let's do a little fit check on Bo, Bosef, if we will. He is wearing a white tank top, crisp white jeans, brown belt and some black Nike slides with a silver check. (laughs) He's the greatest man I've ever seen on TV. That uncle Bojangles. I mean, just what a real, what a real treat. I mean, if we saw a guy like Bojangles dressed the way he was in Soho, you would think that he was like coming straight out of fucking the Margella offices. You would think that that man is probably a fucking millionaire. (laughs) who has a beautiful one floor loft. This is what people look like. I mean, he's truly high fashion. Put him on the streets of Tokyo and he would show all those bad bitches away. So, okay, they get married. Congrats. Congrats. Mike and Natalie basically eat each other's faces when we get to the you may now kiss the bride part. And then Mike howls like a wolf. And the rest of their scenes are just them talking about how happy they are. And there were several howls. I don't know if this was all coming from Mike. If a couple of them came from Bojangles. Maybe one or two came from that guy that was off camera. I don't know. There's just a lot of howling. And I don't know why that was necessary. I do not know. Um, the officiant throws a little shade. And she's like, you know, I've married over 300 times. But the thing that is different about this wedding is that, you know, I was supposed to marry them two days ago and, you know, need I say more? She says, I think they'll make it. I think they'll be fine. But then she makes a face, you know, a face that a woman who knows that she doesn't have time to make the brownies for, you know, her children's PTA meeting. And she knows that she's just going to get them from like, you know, like a whole food. She's just going to get a pre-made pack. That's the face of somebody who's lying is what I'm trying to say. Um, what else happened with Mike and Natalie? I think not much, not really much. I mean, we get, we end on Bo who's like just saying, just wrapping it all up, bringing it all together and saying what we are all thinking, which is, And by the way, he's found a bandana at this point, an American flag bandana. He was not wearing that during the ceremony out of respect (laughs) for this sacred (laughs) union (laughs) between Mike and Natalie. But he put it back on for the reception. You know, he's ready to party. And he says, I'm really excited. I don't really think this is going to work. I didn't think they were going to get married. I had my doubts, but I'm just happy to be here. You know, he's probably getting some... (laughs) 
some of whatever Mike put on that grill, those like huge pumpkin scones that he was baking a couple episodes ago. He's having a great time. He's getting, they probably got a pony keg just for him. (laughs) Just married. A little pony keg for, for Uncle Bo that says just married on the side. And that's the end of our love story between Mike and Natalie. Now, shout out to slash please i wish you had never done this rachel fisher one of the hosts of the hollywood crime scene podcast put me on to natalie's youtube channel now i had seen screenshots of this before but i was like "Mm, i'm trying to protect my peace i don't know what this is i don't like it and i'm going to avoid it but then rachel um posted a few clips on her twitter and i don't think i'm a better human for it um They were alarming, though. She's wearing red in all of the clips that I've seen. And, you know, um, sometimes we need a friend. And sometimes we need a friend to tell us that maybe certain colors are not for us. And I wish that somebody, Tamara, if you hear me, I wish that somebody would tell Natalie that red, especially with that brassy blonde that she's trying to, you know, continue to make a thing. It's just not her color. It's just not her color. But the red is the least cursed thing about all of it because I've never seen I don't understand what Natalie's trying to go for you know like when you look at somebody who is trying to pivot into a social media influencer uh youtuber especially in the cooking well in any sphere right there's a certain personality that you have to have and Natalie's personality just purely based on the few clips that I saw seems to be like horny vampire like incredibly creepy but also a lot of like sexual undertones and I didn't like it I didn't like it at all and it really put everything into focus because at the end of their clip package at the end of their storyline they're talking about what the future holds for them I Mike says something along the lines of, like, we're just going to party right now, but then later, like, ugh, ew. And so, like, seeing her be so horny on YouTube just really painted a picture of what they must be like, because it's very clear that they have, like, a very excessive, I would call, um, sexual uh, relationship. And I call it excessive because I've been roped into it. Like, we as viewers have been roped into it. Um, So, yeah, like I said, I I don't want to keep talking about their their sex but i just feel like it it painted a picture and the picture you know needs to be up in the attic you know okay let's move on oh my baby girl is back for her final scenes queen stephanie america's unhinged angel she's back she's back in michigan and she says when she got back home she felt a sigh of relief because of all the shit that went down in belize so we see her walking (laughs) to her front yard and she's like you know what this is it's the k1 visa application that she was going to file when she got back oh lord she decides to set it on fire i was getting really nervous i don't know that stephanie really needs to be you know um managing a fire operating a motor vehicle um you know just tasks that i just think that It would make me nervous if she were in charge of. So I was watching this closely, especially when she put the papers on the ground. Like, ma'am, 
you're just begging for a brush fire right now. But I think she ended up okay. We didn't, not a fire marshal bill situation here. Um, so then she says, you know, goodbye, Ryan. Hello, Harris. <laughs> she says, Harris has been checking in on her five, six times a day saying, I miss you. I love you. I'm ready to come to America. I'm ready to come specifically on that K-1 visa, the fiance visa. So (laughs) then she takes her cat, Cooper, holds Cooper, cradles Cooper in her arms, face-to-face chat we're having here. And she says... (laughs) Remember when I told you about Ryan? Well, he's gone and he's not going to be your daddy. But guess what? You'd like Harris. Mommy's seeing somebody new. Do you want to call him and say hi? (laughs) That cat. Can you imagine what that cat has seen? Oh, my gosh. So Harris and his baby mama, Emma, they're still living together. So we can put up a red flag on that one, right? But he's been trying to reassure Stephanie that it's strictly a co-parenting situation. She says, believe it or not, Emma texted me and gave me her blessing. So for them to be together, right? But he's like taking it a step further. Like, I want you to have a one-on-one, you know, via FaceTime conversation with Emma. So you know that I'm being serious. Everything's above board. I'm not lying to you. She's actually over me. She's actually okay. I'm a single man free to do what I want. And there's no funny business happening between me and Emma. Put a pin in that one. Put a pin in that one. So then Stephanie and Cooper the cat FaceTime Harris and I know you all saw what he was listed at on her phone. It was, if you don't watch a show, (laughs) he's listed as Harris space dot, 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 fiance question mark. (laughs) Okay. Um, Cooper had a couple of iconic speaking roles because honestly, when Harris answers the phone, He says hi to Cooper, and Cooper says hi back. He gives a full meow back. So Stephanie's like, okay, is Emma there? Because I want to talk to her. Like, let's have our little one-on-one moment here. And so Harris gets Emma, and Stephanie's like, you know, I just want to hear things from you directly, and, you know, how would you feel if Harris moved to America? And Emma says, I'm 100% supportive. Because it means better that he, he means that he can do better for his children because like I have the confidence that I, of knowing that I know that um, he's not going to forget about his kids. I'm confident that we're fine. It's all good. Um, so then Stephanie asks Emma if she's moved on. And Emma says, well, just like that. Well, (laughs) and then she says, there are times when you realize that you and the person you're with are better as friends. And that's where we're at right now. We communicate better as friends. So, okay, we'll put a pin. That's the second pin that we're putting in. So this whole time she's on FaceTime, you know, there's like the picture in picture where you can see the little square of yourself. And then in the larger frame, you see the person you're speaking to, right? So 
as they're talking, I'm looking at the FaceTime screen. I'm looking at her phone screen and I'm thinking, did editing decide to blur out um, Stephanie's face and the like the little part? But then I realized as she hangs up the phone that her finger was hiding, was covering the lens. <laughs> So she, like, Emma probably couldn't see, but, like, the th lower third of her face. <laughs> no awareness. No awareness. And, and that's why I love Stephanie. That's why I absolutely adore this woman. She is great television. So then if you thought that the hits had stopped coming, you're absolutely wrong. They continue. Stephanie then takes Cooper to the kitchen for a little yogurt snack. For my little baby Cooper. And she's got one of those like smart refrigerators that has a screen that's like basically an iPad on one of the doors of the refrigerator. So the background picture, I guess, is a picture of Ryan. <laughs> this woman. <laughs> so what she's done is she tells Cooper that they have a lot of work to do. And then in her hand is a paper that is a printed off picture of Harris <laughs> that she decides to tape onto that smart screen of her refrigerator. <laughs> Why? <laughs> Just change the background, Stephanie. That's what it's for. But given that she didn't even realize that her thumb was covering the camera lens, I guess I should not be surprised. She's an icon. Why would you tape a picture of a man? Why would you, <laughs> was it easier to find the picture, print it out, and tape it to the screen of your smart refrigerator than just changing the background yourself? <laughs> and that's why you know that this woman is truly, I mean, she's practically a boomer. God bless her. And then, if it couldn't get any darker... She picks up Cooper, or she's still holding Cooper, but she puts Cooper's face closer to the refrigerator <laughs> to make him kiss the picture of Harris. <laughs> a 52-year-old woman has just printed out a picture of a man that she has decided is her one true love after leaving her fiancé slash his cousin. Has printed out a picture of him. <laughs> And taped it to a refrigerator like a five-year-old. And that's something we, we're all going to have to think about. Okay. Um, so let's, those two pins that I had mentioned before, let's take them out. We're ready. We're ready to talk about them. So the cameras and the editing and the production cuts to Belize. We're on a beautiful beach in Belize and it's a lovely couple cuddled up on a tree stump watching their children um, play in the ocean. And that couple is Harris and his wife that he's very much still in love with and married to and not at all broken up with Emma. They're having a beautiful time watching their beautiful children basking on this beautiful day about their beautiful life. Beautiful life that they're going to have together, kind of, because clearly they are scamming the fuck out of Stephanie, <laughs> and that they have decided 
that they're that Harris is just going to take one for the team, move to Michigan and get as much money out of this woman as they can in order to give their family and I mean their family, not because they're a family like a Scott and Courtney situation where they've had children and now they're a family for life. I mean the family of a couple that is still very much together. <laughs> One unit. <laughs> living a life in love and in happiness with one another. I died. I don't think we've seen anything, anybody scamming this blatantly on the show. Ooh. <laughs> I mean, we've seen several people say, like, I want to move to America to have better a better life and better opportunities. But I have not seen anybody who would just blatantly canoodle with their fee- with their with their married partner, with their spouse, while talking about how they're going to move to America to marry somebody else and bilk them. <laughs> Wild. So every time we've seen a person talk about their concerns, it's never really come to fruition. Except for now. I mean, this is what everybody's talking about them being worried about. Fortunately, you know, most of these people who come to America genuinely are coming for non-explicitly scammy reasons in this. And that's a good thing. (laughs) But this is an entertaining thing, and this is a show. And also, well, let me get to my theories after this. So, we see them on the beach, like I said. And the production asks Harris, like, what are you hoping your relationship with Stephanie will be? And he says, to be honest, I always, I thought I was always thinking of, like, how I could be one with Stephanie so I can move from here and go over to the United States. So when Stephanie told me about taking me over to America, I have a lot of big dreams. And the first thing that I think about is my family and making a better life for them and my baby mother, because she is my baby mother and we've been together 14 years and I love her so much and I'll always take care of her. Then he says, I never in my life have found somebody that gives me free money. (laughs) So I'm so happy that I met someone like Stephanie. (laughs) And then he says, there's only one time in life that you get a good break like that. So even though I know that my kids are going to be hurt by him moving by me moving to America, I'm going to take that opportunity. So they're like, interviewing Harris but also cutting back to this like beach scene he is rubbing Emma's lower back like a very intimate thing that you do with somebody that you're in love with and in a relationship with and you know if the if the body language experts have their you don't even need a body language expert you don't you barely need to even be looking at the screen to see you could hear the silence and know that that is the silence of a married couple blissfully not speaking to one another. (laughs) My God, my God, my God. So after he's done talking about this fake relationship, they go back, they end our storyline with Stephanie and Harris and Ryan and it's footage of them on the beach. He grabs her Emma around the waist and kisses her like a grab her around the waist making that eye contact of like I want to kiss you she looks at him 
hesitates a little, probably because she knows she's still mic'd up, girl, and then kisses him right on his mouth. Right on her husband's mouth. Woo! Now I'm howling like Mike. My God, you guys. My God. All right. What a world. <laughs> All right. On. So let's go into this absolute masterclass of emotional manipula- manipulation and abuse, a.k.a. Andrew and Amira's final storyline. So Andrew meets up with his mom and sister, Connie, three days before Amira's visa is to expire. Andrew says that, you know, it's like really tough because, you know, like I feel like my relationship with Amira is over and, you know, I need some support. Okay, well, put a, put a sports bra on if you need support so badly. He starts talking about like, how he's not even heard from Amira. He doesn't know where she is, but, you know, he assumes that she's back in France. And, you know, he was just upset that she didn't come to America to experience all that America could give, like, his family and all of the stupid home goods decor that he put up in the apartment. That's what you wanted her to see? All the things that you quote-unquote did for her? You didn't, he never talks about like, I want to, I, I wish she was here so that we could have like really made this happen. I care for her. I love her. I wanted to see this relationship through. It's all about like, I wanted to like show her this and show her that and have her meet my family. And it's just like, do you care about her? Or do you just feel like this, you made some sort of financial investment into this relationship and you want to see returns? Because it really seems like all it is for him. So then Andrew's mom is like, you know, I kind of feel like she bait and switched you a little bit. Excuse me? (laughs) Excuse me. Andrew is, you know, trying to play the sensitive boy. And he's like, you know, I don't feel like that was her intention. But then his mom's like, well, I'm just confused as to why she would have gone to Serbia for the quarantine and then not gotten on the plane to America. Mom? Do you think that maybe there should be like, like, yeah, you should think that was weird. You should think that is weird. But the fact that you're just leapfrogging over what Andrew could have possibly done to put himself and her in that situation. And you think like, honestly, in your mind, you think that she went to Serbia to screw him over. That doesn't even make sense. Logically, woman. Why would she, why would she have invested so much time? Why would she have gone to Serbia after being detained? If she knew that she wasn't going to America. Yeah. Why would she do that? She wouldn't, mom. So let's figure out some other possible theories as to why that happened. Theories that might look in the direction of this man who's talking about all the effort he made, but yet he couldn't even brush his hair for lunch with you guys. Let's talk about that. So then Andrew's mom is like, you know, I just feel like you deserve more of an explanation than what she said, which is having an anxiety attack. And Andrew shrugs and he says, you know, like, I, I don't want to think about it that way, but you can't think about it that way because the truth is, you know what you did to her to cause that anxiety attack. In a confessional, Andrew says that he feels like some of their disagreements would have been would have impacted the way she feels, but he feels like she just broke up with him because it was just so final and she didn't give him the opportunity to fix anything. You're a monster. You're an absolute monster. This man really is saying that he gaslighted her 
even up to the moment where she was about to check in for her flight to California and you want to talk about let's fix things. No, I'm not taking that risk, bro. Not with you, not with anybody. So Andrew then says that Amira's tone shifted to one that was cold and distant and he did his best to work past it, but ultimately he should have seen the signs. The sign that you should have seen was um, a mermaid and his pirate live here on the front door of your apartment. The sign that you should have seen is the keep calm and guarded on little tchotchke that you have in your bedrooms, uh, uh, cabinets. Those are the signs. You have signs. And those signs should have told you that a person that would buy signs like that is not somebody who is of sound mind. Okay. I don't know how far Roseville is from the beach, but can't be. he seems, he gives me very like inner California, central California to me, like closer to Nevada, California. Like it, there are no mermaids here. There are no mermaids anywhere, but you know, there are definitely no mermaids in his stinky little apartment. That's for sure. Um, so then Andrew says, you know, it was probably a combination of a lot of things. And that even though, you know, they had some tests. He doesn't think that they, that he experienced the same thing that she did. Like, yeah, dude, because you're the one who's manipulating her and emotionally abusing her. Of course, your experience is very different. Of course it is. (laughs) Andrew's mom, however, doesn't believe any of this. And it's just like, she's like, I don't believe there was even an anxiety attack because nobody was there to see it. And, you know, she just thinks that Amira used the attack as an excuse because something went on behind the scenes. Yeah. Your son being a whole asshole is what went on behind the scenes. So Andrew's sister, Connie, has her opinions on the situation and she is much closer to figuring it all out. But then she like she keeps turning left like she's getting right there and then she turns left. Because she says, you know, I think it's really weird that you're not trying to figure out what led to her not coming to America. And maybe there are things that like me and mom don't know about this relationship. And maybe the writing was already on the wall. Thank you. Thank you. Um, So then she says, you know, you can go through the whole stages of grief, like the denial, the anger, then forgiveness. And, but it seems like you are already at the acceptance part of this. And no offense, but that's kind of weird to me. Thank you. Thank you. The only reason why he is so cool, calm and collected about it is because he knows that he can't tell the truth. And so he just has to act like he's just totally okay with it. Probably, really, because he is okay with it, because he is devoid of any sort of human-like emotions, and he's just a dickhead. He's just an absolute dickhead. In an interview, production asks Andrew if he has any anger towards Amira, and he says he just has a profound sense of defeat. Is defeat a word that one should use to to describe a breakup with a fiance that you feel defeated I don't think so I don't think so at all so 
then he says, you know, like, even if we did make up, the visa's basically expired. We'd have to start this whole process over again. Lord knows, clearly he's more invested in the money that he put into this and the time that he spent, like, trying to build a relationship with this woman. So, you know, he's like, I'm not doing this again. Not because he... (laughs) He doesn't care about her, right? Like, he does not give a shit about her. He just wants his money back. He wants the ring back. He's like, I'm not putting up more money for this. I mean, I hate him. I hate him. (laughs) I hate him. Um, So back at the airport, we see Amira. She's wandering around as though she's been in this airport for weeks now. But she's back in France. And the producer asked her how she feels about being back in France. And she's like, you know, I feel a lot safer. (laughs) better than that war zone in Serbia that I was staying in. But, you know, I feel heartbroken about the whole situation. And she says, you know, I did everything in my power to make this relationship work. But in return, I kept getting put in tough situations. And the trip to Serbia was like a wake up call for me to realize that me and Andrew are not meant to be. She says, you should have faith in the person that you love. But she was wrong. And Andrew kept pressuring her, and that is not love. We love a self-actualized queen. We love it. Amira looked great. (laughs) Honestly, after when we saw her go back home, she's moving back in with her dad, who said that he's so happy that she's back. He's not surprised. Not surprised at all, but he's happy. And she looked amazing. Her body was banging. She was serving Her face looked beautiful. I mean, this whole time that we were seeing her talking about Andrew and how, how in love I am with Andrew. And she looked fine, fine. But now we're seeing her like fresh faced, gorgeous. And I'm thinking the glow up is real. I mean, you're only hours of of breaking up with Andrew and you look about 10 times better. (laughs) She was a beautiful girl before, but my God, she looked stunning absolutely stunning she is like i'm just gonna go back to my life i'm gonna go enroll back to school i'm gonna finish my bachelor's degree i'm gonna get a job i'm just gonna like do me i'm doing amira and amira's doing just fine prayers up for amira and prayers down for andrew now let's finish with yara and jovi i don't want to talk about all this stuff because like i said it was like an hour or more of Yara and Jovi content and I just like it was fine it was fine they get married in Vegas Yara says she's really nervous about marrying Jovi because she you know she's not sure that he's ready to change his old ways and Jovi's also nervous he says he's nervous about making the right decision I I mean they end up getting married they go to the the uh uh what do you call the Graceland Chapel in an Uber (laughs) I mean Yara found every pony I mean she's got the hair of about three ponies in her hair just curled to the gods I mean she looks like a pageant queen they get married Elvis is singing down the aisle he's giving people high fives he's playing acoustic guitars he walks Yara down he's hand in hand with them as they, as they're finished getting married and they're walking down the aisle as husband and wife and Elvis. <laughs> Honestly, it looked pretty funny. Um, why he would sing Amazing Grace as he walked Yara down the aisle, 
I, I have questions, but it was a lot of fun. So they're getting married. Congratulations to the couple. Production interviews uh, Jovi's friend Klein and his wife Sarah afterwards. And Sarah says, well, you know, we'll see what happens after a year and a day because, you know, that's how long they can stay married in order to keep Yara in the country. Like she has to be married for 366 days in order for her to be able to stay without having to be married to Jovi. And Klein's like, are you already thinking about that? And Sarah's like, no, I just I just researched it just in case because you never know what's going to go down. You never know. Of course, they have a party, their reception at a brewery. You know, we have to make sure Jovi gets his medicine before he gets sick. Um, then it's just like a lot of skipping. So they, Jovi was supposed to go to um, work a few days after their wedding. So we cut to a month after the wedding and Jovi's, you know, the world has changed. The pandemic is in full effect. Lockdown is in full effect. And... Yara is now four months pregnant. Jovi was supposed to come home that day of filming, but all the international flights were taken. Um, and she has no idea how long he is going to be stuck there. So she decides to move in with Jovi's parents. She keeps saying Jovi's mom. Like throughout the whole thing, she's like, I'm living at Jovi's mom's house. I'm staying at Jovi's mom's house. And I'm thinking Jovi's parents are still married and I just feel like there, I wonder if there is something going on between Jovi's dad and Yara. Like there's some kind of disconnect because yeah, they're married. So I don't know why she kept referring to Jovi's mom, but it seems like Gwen, Jovi's mom and Yara are really getting along with one another. She seems to be really supportive and not like these kind of like racist Trumpers that were talking about, you know, how they were going to she was going to steal him away like she was doing like a few weeks prior. So Yara's, you know, kind of going through it emotionally. And Gwen is like, I'm just going to be there for her. I'm going to try and be that mother figure. She'll let me. Um, she's like, I just can't imagine what she's going through. I know that she doesn't want to stay with us. She wants to live with Jovi and she wants to be this married couple. And now, you know, here she is in this foreign country. She's pregnant. She doesn't know when Jovi's going to get back. She's all by herself in New Orleans in this apartment. And, you know, I'm just going to try and make this a very happy experience for her. So we see, like, over the course of a few months, she's basically doing, like, a, a Simple Life remake. <laughs> Poor thing. <laughs> Riding bikes in LaRue or wherever she was, Louisiana, the, like, suburb of a small town version of, of, of Jovi's hometown. So riding bikes by herself she's swaddling some random fa family friend up in a blanket to learn how to swaddle the baby she's going crabbing she's like this sucks <laughs> i don't like this at all but what else am i gonna do i at least i have people to talk to here i can talk to gwen and we're having a good time so then we get to seven months into yara's pregnancy jovi's still not back He's still wherever. They didn't say where he was for work, but he's still there. He ends up being gone. I think he's supposed to be gone for one month at a time. He was gone for four months because of COVID. Yara says like every week it would just be like, I'm pushing it back one week or two more weeks or another week. And it just got the months just rolled by. So, um, so at the seven month point, we get to Yara and she goes for a checkup. She has been clearly uh, watching a lot of documentaries and 
She's like, I do not want to get an epidural. I heard that like if they put it in the wrong way, I could have a headache for the rest of my life. It can slow down the process of like the natural childbirth. And what if the baby gets stuck in the birth canal and, and all this stuff? Like she's, she's seen too much. She's seen too much. Um, so she really wants to do it the natural way. So Jovi comes back and I think his birthday was either that day or the next day. I mean, this man is just like same old Jovi. Same old Jovi. Yara has moved back to the apartment. She decides to make a traditional Ukrainian birthday cake. It's called um, Medivik, I think. And it's like a honey cake. Um, it looked beautiful. It really looked nice. Um, so Jovi's mom comes to pick up him from the airport to take him home. And she gives him, she has a present for him in the back of the car. So he goes and pulls it out and he's like, what is this? <laughs> And it's a baby Bjorn. And now he is feeling some type of way because the gift, in his words, is not for him. Jovi, grow up. <laughs> grow up. So then Yara says, oh, at the, okay. So here's where 90 day production fucked up, right? So at the seven months checkup, Yara says, um, you know, we're not going to talk I'm not, I don't want to figure out what the baby is, what the sex of the baby is, because I want to wait for Jovi. But in the little montage of her hanging out in Louisiana with Gwen, she says she uses she, her pronouns to refer to the baby. And then also when Jovi gets home, Yara's talking about how she wants him to wash the baby's clothes. So she feels like, so he feels more of a bond with the baby. You can see all the clothes that are clearly pink clothing. Like they're clearly baby girl clothes. And I know these people are not evolved enough to put pink on a boy. I know that to be true because they have a gender reveal party and wouldn't you know, it's a girl. So I don't know why they were trying to make up the storyline of like, they're going to figure out what it is. Like he knew what the baby was. All he had to see was that rack of pink clothing. Hello. <laughs> um, and that doesn't, and, and that means that you knew what it was. So why, I, I didn't understand why we were doing this. Anyway, she has a girl, the baby's name is Myla. Um, they get into a fight, like the night that she, uh, goes into labor because he wanted to have like a boys, a final boys night out before the baby. And he ends up, you know, talking about how uptight Yara is and, you know, but he also was like, oh, I'm also an hour late at past when I said I was going to go home. So he comes home, I'm all drunk and he's like, oh, you know, it's not that big a deal. It's not like I missed the birth of the baby. And, and they get into it. And she's, you know, again, like, are you going to grow up? Are you going to continue to want to like get wasted every night? Or are you going to actually nut up and be a, a husband and a father? So then he tries to smooth things over. <laughs> And he starts rubbing her belly and he's like, how's baby girl doing? She's like, she's fine. Waiting for a drunk daddy to come home. <laughs> I love Yara. She's so funny. Um, so yeah, they, they give birth to Myla, seven pound, beautiful baby girl. It was a great moment. Um, that was really it. I mean, she ends up having to have the epidural because her water broke, but she wasn't really having contractions that would, you know, she wasn't progressing in her, you know, labor. So they end up giving her Pitocin, which 
typically will cause you, apparently, will cause you to have worse, more difficult contractions than it would if you were to have just gone through the process naturally because it's like speeding up the birthing process, right? So it ends up getting too painful. She gets an epidural. Everything's fine. I think she's headache free. I don't, you know, I don't think the baby got stuck in the birth canal. It seemed like everything was good. I have to admit, you know, a soft spot for me is men and babies. And to see him, like, it, it was just like a very sweet moment where after she gives birth, Yara's asleep because she's exhausted because she's basically been in labor for like 24 hours at this point. And then you, Jovi's just like doing skin to skin on the baby. And he's like talking to her and like using this very sweet voice with her. And it got me. I have to admit, it really got me. Um, That was it. I mean... After that, they get home and Yara's very hormonal. She's crying all the time, like happy tears. She's like, I just didn't think that I would love something so much this quickly. And she's like, she can't get through the sentences without crying. And that's very sweet. Um, Jovi ends up giving Yara a push present and it's like a necklace with a cross in it. She keeps calling things jewelry brilliant. (laughs) So I think she really likes a shiny a shiny little piece. She's like, Oh, you got me a brilliant cross. <laughs> I love Yara. And I wish that I did not have to say goodbye to her. I know that they just announced that, um, Yara and Jovi, Brandon and Julia. And, uh, I think there was another couple are going to be on happily ever after they hadn't announced that previously. Like I said, you guys, I'm not going to watch that shit. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> and that's the end. That's the end of 98 fiance. Like I said, I will give you flashes of the, um, just a quick recap of the tell-all, and then we're moving full into Seeking Sister Wife and Sister Wife mode. Oh, I'm so excited. Okay. So our plan while we're here in Mexico is for Derek and Roberta to spend all eight nights together. I am sleeping in my own room, um, right next to Garrick and Roberta on the other side. I want to... Be fair to Garrick and Roberta and their time together because I'm gonna have time with him at home. And we are coming into a plural relationship now, but seeing someone kiss your husband, I don't see it every day right now. Like Garrick texts Roberta, but you know, I don't see him kissing her and embracing her. So it's hard. There's definitely worries of getting caught up in jealousy because those feelings do come. Oh shit. Let's talk about Seeking Sister Wife. I'm just going to start with episode three. I don't want to like go back to the past two episodes. I famously am a completionist when it comes to shows. Like I prefer to watch from season one to get the whole fantasy, but I'm just diving into season three and they should just retitle this show girl dot 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 and then the two eyes side eyeing emoji. Because, what? Ooh. <laughs> Woo! Um, let's just, uh, whew. let's just talk about the cast members on the show. Now, this is going to be very difficult for me because as I was watching these episodes, every, most of the people look like other people. And also... It's more fun to me if I don't learn these people's names. So I'm just going to do a quick guide to let y'all know who is who, what their names are, 
what I'm going to be calling them, and also who I think they look like. So, we have Sibian and Squeaky from. Now, that's Sidian, and I don't even know what her name is, but if you guys know who Squeaky from is, she's one of the Manson girls, okay? <laughs> and I just have to say, I think her name is Tanya, maybe? I don't know. She was, she's just giving me Manson. I just think if she had grown into, if she had been born in a different decade, I think her life would be very different. Okay. <laughs> I think we would have seen her hand in hand with a couple of other girls singing songs at the courthouse. That's just, I'm going to say, and I'm calling city and Sibian because frankly, if you know what a Sibian is, um, it makes sense given the situation. Okay. I'll just, just put it that way. Also known as Guyliner. Okay. Sibian slash Guyliner. Um, they, their deal is like squeaky was the second wife. Like Guyliner was already married. Squeaky was brought in to be the sister wife. Guyliner's first wife was like, mm, this isn't going to work for me. And so she left and then Squeaky, who had left to kind of give them space to work their shit out, comes back. So they're like rebuilding and now they're, wait for it, seeking sister wife. Okay. Next, we have the Woo Woo couple, a.k.a. the Snowdens. Now, I'm led to believe that these people have been on the show for quite some time and that they met somebody they got married they did the whole ceremony and then weeks later the next the sister wife was like deuces can't do this i'm out see you later bye okay after they had that whole woo woo ashe sage and uh, circles in your forehead ceremony okay um so now they're courting not one but two chicks, a lady named Crystalline from South Africa who has two children and she comes over to check it out, see if this was the right fit for her. And then we found out there's another chick named Taylor from Atlanta who is also, you know, being auditioned as well. Okay. Um, neither of these two chicks have been in a polygamous relationship. So then we have Garrick. And I refuse to call anybody Garrick. I have, I've noticed that I have like a sensitivity or a particular hatred for um, men whose name starts with G and then things go haywire after they're like, okay, if you, if it's a Greg, if it's a Gary, if it's a, even a Godfrey, um, I'd be fine with, but Garrick, no, no, I'm not doing that. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. 
There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. So, Garrick, fortunately for me, looks exactly like fucking Joel Osteen. Y'all see that? <laughs> Garrick looks just like Joel Osteen, you guys. It's uncanny. Um... He is married. I'm side-eyeing right now. Side-eyeing the microphone right now. He's married to a woman named Danielle. I think of her... Um, I described her as like Shelley Duvall at the end of The Shining. You know, where she's just like a limp-wristed, just weak. You know, like, I'm, you know all about women, women power, empowering and emboldening women. This woman, I I just want to shake her. I just want to shake her and tell her, get with it, girl. Get with it. Love yourself. Do better. So Joel Osteen and Danielle, also she looks like Danielle from Danielle of Muhammad and Muhammad. Yeah. Yeah. Um, not in the way that you would think. Just look at their face. Like, they look similar in the face. Like, if Danielle of Danielle and Muhammad showed me this Danielle and said, oh, that's my little sister, I'd be like, yeah, absolutely. They really favor each other in the face. I think it's like Danielle in Seeking Sister Wife and Danielle and It's something about their mouths. Like, the way they talk, is they kind of like... It's like their jaws sideways. I I don't know. It, it's something. They look a lot alike to me. Okay. I'm not trying to be mean. <laughs> and I probably shouldn't even say that I'm not trying to be mean because that would suggest that there's something to be mean about. So I'm going to take that back <laughs> and just say that I think that Danielle looks like Danielle and Muhammad and you guys can take that for what you think it's worth. Okay. Um, I just... So they're like high school sweethearts or whatever, and they've been together for 13 years. They have decided to divorce each other so that they can bring in Roberta from Brazil and Garrick, Joel, can marry Roberta. Watching this couple actually go to the court and lie to the judge and say that like this... um this marriage has been irreparably damaged and watching her cry. Ooh, tough stuff. (laughs) Real tough. And then we have the King and his Queens, which we did not see on this episode, but he looks like TD Jake's reverend. And, Also, he's shaped and built like a minion, and I don't have a problem talking about him like that because he is a misogynist. He's clearly, like, the most misogynistic of all of the other men, and this, like, I'm the king, and I expect to be treated like a king, and these are my queens, and they should be treated like queens, and it's just like, ugh, ugh, no, 
no, no, no. So (laughs) this episode, it is revealed, like I said, that the the Ashes, the Woo Woo family are going to be recording a chick from Atlanta. I'm really confused about a few of these couples because they... I believe they have all said that there's no sexual relationship, no commingling with the wives. I'm pretty sure that they've all said this, but all of them are giving me, mm, are you, are we all sure that this, maybe, maybe there should be some exploration because there just seems like a lot of sexual tension in the air and I... I'm just very confused about like who is attracted to who because in some situations it kind of seems like the wives are more into each other than that they are the husband. I don't know. I don't know. So this woo-woo family is talking about, you know, the wife keeps talking about how they are dating. We are dating this woman. We are courting this woman. And I don't think that from what I recall on sister wives, they don't talk about it like that. Like they are not courting. I'm pretty sure they're saying Cody is is courting Robin, right? I don't remember there being this. We, I don't, I don't recall Christine, Janelle or Mary using we as a descriptor for what they were doing with Robin. So, they're talking about alignment and bringing everybody's energy together and juicing and whatever. Okay. Okay. Um, okay. So going to Joel Osteen and Danielle, they've decided to meet Roberta in Mexico. They, this is sort of like a precursor to having her come to America. So the first time that they met the whole family, met Roberta including their children but this time it's just going to be them Joel and Danielle and Roberta they decided to meet in Mexico girl (laughs) girl (laughs) so right before they were about to meet Roberta they interviewed Garrick and Danielle and Danielle's trying so hard to act like she's optimistic about this situation but then she gives it up immediately and she says you know sometimes you have to lose something in order to gain something else she is really not handling having to divorce Garrick very well who can blame her who can blame her of course you would feel some type of way about having to do that and now the new shiny newfangled wife gets to have what you had had for 13 years? Mm-mm. No, ma'am. Couldn't be me. Could not be me. So let's go back to the confusion about, like, who's fucking who. Okay? Because Garrick and Roberta, or Garrick and Danielle go to the resort where they're going to meet Roberta in Mexico, in Cabo. And Danielle is the one who spots, like, Roberta first because they're looking for her. And she's sitting at the bar. Danielle sees her first. She's so excited. Gets emotional. She's running. Running to Roberta. And they're hugging and embracing. Okay. Okay, fine. Sure. But then, Garrick walks up. They hug. Roberta and Garrick kiss. And then Danielle and Roberta kiss each other. 
right on the lips. So I know some people kiss each other on the lips, but mm, (laughs) I don't know. I don't know. But I really didn't have much time to let that upset me because then Garrick starts talking about how Danielle has soft, beautiful hair. Excuse me, Roberta. How Roberta has soft and beautiful hair and how tiny she is. And then he says that they call Roberta the tiny wife and they call Danielle the large wife. (laughs) Now, for those of you who don't watch the show, I'm just going to have to guess. So Roberta looks to be maybe 5'1", 5'2", and proportion. So we're talking, she maybe she's like 115, okay? Somewhere around there. She's a petite woman. Danielle is like, if Roberta's 5'1", Danielle can't be more than 5'5". Five five. And she's probably somewhere in like the 125 range. She's also proportional, athletic, quite thin. Like we see her working out in the earlier episodes. I will be damned. (laughs) If I'm going to sit here and be called the large wife, Joel, I could not believe that. I think, first of all, I don't think there's any like, we call Danielle the large wife. I think you call Danielle the large wife. You call her that. And she laughs because she doesn't have any other choice because the lady has zero self-esteem. She has negative self-esteem. I <laughs> could not believe it. He's in here calling her the large wife. <gasps> Damn. Damn, you guys. Ugh. Oh, still shocking to me. Still shocking to me at this point, as you can tell. So it's also worth noting that Roberta does not speak English. So they have to communicate much like Paul and Carini via a translator app. So Roberta was sort of talking about how like she came into the whole plural thing. I don't think that she's practiced plural relationships or polygamy or anything, but she learned about it. She was taking a class and then she learned about Mormons and that's how she learned about plural marriage. She says, you know, like, I think that this is like the right fit for me, but I've not done it before. So I just like this whole scene, I just could not believe it. So, you know, she says, She's a little, she seems very concerned, like much more, Roberta seems much more concerned about Danielle and her emotions than Garrick does. Garrick is clearly just like super horny. He is loving his new tiny wife with the braces. And that's something that like, maybe we need to look more into Garrick. He seemed to really fetishize her. Um... So Roberta's really confused or concerned. She's like, you know, I, I just like, I'm heartbroken that Danielle had to divorce Garrick to allow me into this relationship. And I'm just like concerned that Danielle is going to feel left out. And guess what? Danielle feels left out. You guys <laughs> shocking, shocking, isn't it? Um, So the deal with them is that 
they are going to be staying in Cancun, or excuse me, Cabo for eight days. And that this is going to be like a practice in every sense of the word. Because then we find out that part of this is that Garrick and Roberta are going to be spending all eight nights together. And then large wife is going to be staying in a separate hotel room right next door. So her bed or her headboard three feet away on the other side is their headboard. This is weird. (laughs) Why wouldn't they have just gotten another hotel room farther away? Why did they choose two rooms right next to each other? That is fucking weird. I want to know, like, was this a conscious decision that they made? Because if so, I think we're moving into some other sort of voyeuristic territories here. And I'm looking at Garrick. I'm looking at Garrick for this. It just seems like... He wants to, it's like a cuckold situation, really. (laughs) Like, this isn't like a sister wife. Large wife is a cuckold. And now she's got to watch Joel Osteen and tiny wife canoodling with one another. So they go over to the hotel room. And by the way, they were sitting at that bar and Danielle and Roberta were holding hands. Like, they were sitting on either side of Joel Osteen and they were holding hands I'm just very confused because Garrick does say like, you know, it are just to make it very clear, like there's no intimacy between the wives, but I'm like, there seems to be a lot of intimacy between them. But anyway, um, they go over to their rooms and Danielle has to go get another key card. I guess it didn't work. So as they're waiting, they're like in the room or they're outside of the room kissing and cuddling and really close and embracing each other and Danielle comes back from the key and she's like it's like the hotel is um you know like an how do I describe it's like one of those it's not like an insular hotel right it's like there's clearly some sort of like courtyard or beach and so the it's like an open air hotel you know what I mean so she's walking down the hallway and she sees them kissing and giggling in each other's ear and she just stops and stares at them before she comes back and it's like they didn't even notice it Ooh, dark so she goes up to them they go to the apartment or the hotel room her hotel room and Garrett's like Ooh, yeah really tired um you know like i bet we're all really tired like oh i'm exhausted okay you know um i guess we should go now right i guess we should go right now I mean, that man was so horny. I would imagine that he probably had a boner as he was um, hugging large wife goodnight. He was ready. He was ready to go. He is sick. He's disgusting. (laughs) I hate him so much. Danielle says she's going to be wearing headphones that first night. And it's just like, ugh. Production asked Roberta, like, are you concerned? Does Danielle's going to hear you guys having sex? This is like, yeah, honestly, I am. 
So we promised to be really, really quiet. And I just, ugh, I don't really know what Garrick could be giving in terms of a stroke game, but probably not much. I mean, Roberta, honestly, is probably going to be quiet, not because she has to be, but because there's no reason not to be. We'll put it that way. Let's move on, girl. So next we made a couple, well, I made a couple because there were a few flashbacks and I assume that maybe they were on a different season, but we meet Colton, Tammy, and Sophie. This couple seems most like what I'm used to in terms of a TLC, like polygamist situation. They're LDS. They live in Utah. There's a, like a Duggar. There's just like that... (sighs) religious strange undertone with everything that happens it's just something that i i'm more familiar with if you know what i mean tammy and sophie really seem to balance each other out in the sense that like tammy's going really heavy on the eye the the um the eyebrow pen and sophie seems to have really abandoned it so uh, sophie's the second wife she's now seven months pregnant they're, like I said, LDS. They believe in, like, the what he calls old-school Mormonism, which means that they're living plural marriage. So, the first year, they were all together. Colton says, in his words, that they were in the closet, right? And they didn't live in... Not even... they Did they not share a house? They lived in separate towns, Tammy and Sophie. And so, Colton would just alternate days being with Tammy or Sophie. So they live in Utah and we get a little bit of like a sister wives crossover because they start talking about how, you know, now that the laws have changed about polygamism, it's basically been reduced to the equivalent of a traffic ticket. It's just like a citation now. So they've decided to all move in together. Clearly, this has been quite a learning curve for them. Um, did they say Sophie was pregnant? She's, she's pregnant. Second wife is pregnant. Um, so Tammy and Sophie both talk about how they're very different, how Tammy's somebody who keeps things all inside, but Sophie's just like a live out loud kind of bitch. So that could not be more true. <laughs> Basically, so they're living together, they're trying to adjust, and they've decided the best thing that works for them is for Colton, who is about the sleepiest man I've ever seen. He looks... Not like a man who could bag several women. Like, compared to... If if that was to compare Colton to Cody... I mean, Cody's Mr. Personality. (laughs) Colton seems like... He could follow... Like, he seems like a... a Necro... I was gonna say narcoleptic. Is that right? Yeah. The one who falls asleep all the time? Yeah. Um, so, is that the right word? I'm going to pause because it's going to bother me. Okay, whew, I was right. It is narcolepsy. Um, so, they are now courting another woman. And again, this is giving me shades of Sister Wives first season where Christine is heavily pregnant with Truly. And then here comes Robin. Here comes Peter Cottontail. Bushy-eyed, bright-eyed. Just kidding. This woman is a, na- a woman named Kimberly from North Carolina. They have decided, like, we've gone as far as we can go. Kimberly had reached out to them on social media, seemed interested. Things seemed all good. 
they feel like they've hit the end of the road in terms of online communications and they want to take this into the real world. So Sophie, Tammy, and Colton decide to video chat with Kimberly. And Sophie, prior to that video chat, says, you know, I think it would be best if they all met in person because Colton and Tammy are not really great at social, at like internet stuff. Like they're not great at communicating. So it would just be better to like get the full picture of who they are in real life. She was 100% spot on because when that video chat pops up, it's as though Tammy and Colton are Sophie's shy children and they're literally looking at her to direct this conversation of inviting Kimberly over to Utah to visit them. Kimberly isn't really Miss Personality herself either because when she gets on the phone, she's like, hey, how are you? Oh, I'm fine. I'm just going to go do some groceries later. Um, so, yeah. Um, <laughs> like, Kimberly, brighten up. Brighten up. Like, she was, like, almost, like, annoyed that she had to have a conversation with these people that she's trying to marry. <laughs> okay, girl. Um, so, Sophie's, like, running the whole conversation. She is clearly, like, the only person who seems to have any sort of social skills. That was weird. But, Kimberly did agree to come and visit them. And they, you know, Sophie was like, I would prefer that you come visit before I give birth. I, my due date is in about eight weeks. So if we get this moving, that would be really great. She agrees. Cool. The last thing that we really see is squeaky from and guy liner. They go to some sort of, you know, hipster bar and they're scouting. Guy liner says, I met Squeaky in real life. I don't really prefer to be on the dating app. So we're going to this bar to hopefully meet some people that we're interested in. They find a bartender, a little cutie named Faith. And they're like, hey, can we talk to you? And she comes, sits down and they're like, oh, you know, we just want to let you know that we are married, but we're polygamous and we like plural marriage and this is like our thing and you know we you caught our eye and would you be interested in going on a date with Guyliner or both of us and she's like yeah sure <laughs> whatever <laughs> she she seemed pretty chill with it honestly I have to say that it was a uh, far more um far more chill than I expected the whole situation. You know, granted when he did drop the polygamy word, she did kind of sit there slack jawed for a minute, but then she was like, yeah, chill. Like I'll, I'm flattered that they would even ask me. So she gives them her number and we'll see, I guess we'll see what happens with faith. That's the end of seeking sister wife. Uh, ooh, this is going to be a long episode. You guys let's move on to sister wives. Ooh, and finally let's talk about sister wives in episode that, started off pretty typical and then just went to full-on darkness we we lowered ourselves from the fourth fifth sixth seventh eighth levels of hell and i don't know how we're gonna get out of it folks i really don't know how to get out of it cody is still staying away from janelle's house because gallant and goofus are out here in these streets right they're still doing their thing goofus has his girlfriend and he's still trying to get his dick wet gallant's working and you know it's just it's just like a difficult we have to have another conversation out in the backyard on those like fold out sports games chairs 
I'm so sick of these dudes. So the deal is Hunter, Gallant Goofus's brother, is in the Naval Academy. They're trying to rush out the um, graduates so they don't have these people sitting and, you know, during pandemic times, they're accelerating his graduation. So Cody wants to come back over to the house. It's going to be a virtual graduation, but he just wants to be, you know, with the family for this celebration. So Gal and Goofus are basically like anti-maskers, right? They don't really believe that they're any more safe with a mask on than they would be without it. They're still trying to get defensive about like, oh, dad goes to the grocery store and like, we don't really understand why he can do that, but he stays away from us. Savannah is basically like, I don't really give a shit. This is kind of a new normal. I'm chilling. Can we go back to playing video games? But she does have a bit of an issue with Gallant and Goofus because, like I said, they're still out here in these streets. And because of that, she cannot hang out with her family, her siblings, not her father. She's fine with the dad. She's not so fine with the siblings. So it's just like... uh, I, I, Savannah's a queen. Okay. Savannah's the only person in Janelle's house who's making any sort of sense. So Cody uses a term for what Gallant and Goofus are doing, which is, um, extracurricular associations. Janelle says, you know, like, I want the boys to express how they're feeling and their stupid little opinions about this. And, you know, basically how COVID isn't real and they're not affected by it and they can't get it. And she says, you know, I know that the virus is real you know it's real I respect it I acknowledge it but she says she vacillates between how much precaution she needs to be taking um Goofus then says he thinks Cody's having a midlife crisis what the hell this has to do with him being I mean yeah Cody probably is having a midlife crisis but him being safe is not an indicator of that okay look at literally everything else that your father does that's the midlife crisis him being careful is not one of it, not the issue. So Cody's actually saying some real shit because he's like, they're blaming me when I'm trying to make decisions on mitigating exposure, but they're not blaming themselves and being accountable for how much they're exposing everybody else and themselves. Thank you, Cody. Absolutely. Thank you. Um, Robin in in the confessional basically is like, you know, I feel guilty. You know, Cody shouldn't be at my house this much. You know, maybe maybe like she's finally be careful what you wish for, because we all know that as much as Robin says, I'm here for plural marriage. I love it. I love the family. I love the culture, blah, 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 blah. You know, there was a certain part of her, most, most of her that probably really was like, Yes, I get him all to myself. We, because really, like, she doesn't have the experience of, like, Mary or even Janelle. Like, her experiences with this family are very different. They've never really been able to be a family in the way that the otherwise have gotten to be a family with Cody. So I have to imagine that, even though she doesn't want to admit it, I feel very strongly that she, there was a part of her that felt like, I'm kind of liking this, but now we're three weeks into it. And I imagine as anybody who has spent, you know, weeks at a time with Cody is probably like, mm, no, thank you. <laughs> so she's saying, you know, I don't, you know, like, I just feel guilty that Cody's spending so much time in my house, but it's not really up to me. 
Okay. So next we have is Truly's birthday, and it was sad. It was very sad. Truly is missing her siblings that she doesn't get to see. She wants to see her family. She's pissed. She's really pissed. They did not make this birthday any better. Now, granted, I mean, it seems like it was maybe cold outside, but they get a pinata. Christine buys a pinata for Truly. And it's about the size. I mean, it's basically like a Polly Pocket version of a pinata. I don't even know, like... I mean, not to be gross, but I've had bowel movements bigger than that pinata, okay? <laughs> like, it, it was very tiny. And they have to play it indoors. She's not hitting it. She's trying to get it. Cody ends up getting a Wilson tennis racket so she can just bash it. She ends up stabbing the, the unicorn pinata to open it up. Cody wants to throw a little shade towards Christine. He starts talking shit about how, you know, the pinata was really small. And, you know, it really breaks easier when you fill it up, Christine. So like that little bag full, who knows what it is. It's just like tiny little candies. And Christine's like, well, I have three kids. I can't give them all that candy. Girl, dividing that small ass <laughs> thing, it was probably about, the pinata was probably, you could fit maybe um, upward of five fun size little candy bars in there. Divided amongst three children, I think they'll be okay. I don't think they're going to die. Okay. Um, so then Christine is like, okay, well, do you want to be in charge of the pinata next time? And he says, no, I just want to sit here and complain about it. And thank you. Alternate title of Sister Wives. I just want to sit here and complain about it. Now we said it. So then here comes Mary. Eeyore Mary. Bursting everybody's bubbles, bursting everybody's birthday balloons, smashing right through the proverbial pinata. And she says, you know, honestly, I think that some people are really glad that COVID's happening because it gives us an excuse not to see each other. What this had to do with Truly's birthday? I have no idea. But that's just like, I guess they just, they've really been uh, using a lot of Mary in her sound bites, and I'm enjoying it. But it was really apropos of nothing. She's right, but it had nothing to do with that scene. So then we get a weird couple of scenes where Cody has a conversation with Christine because Hunter's graduation is going to fall on her birthday and he just kind of wants a, you know, just wants to see if she's okay with it. Christine's totally fine. She's like, we can change it to another day. No big deal. I We've had to change things around in the past because things conflict. I'm chill about it. I'm totally cool. Cody's acting like she was like going to be popping off and like, I don't know with years down the road or like a week later, it's going to be like, oh, well, you didn't come. You didn't celebrate my birthday on my actual birthday. Like he's acting like she's going to be a total bitch about this. But Christine was completely fine. The only thing she says is, I don't care if you change plans. I don't even need you to run everything by me. But there is a point where like I would like to know how my day is going because a lot of the time Cody doesn't say that he's coming over to the house until the evening and I just feel like I shouldn't have to be waiting around for him I would like to get on with my day know it one way or the other I don't care if you're here or if you're not but let it let a girl know okay um I thought Christine was being incredibly reasonable and I actually thought shame on you Cody for making it seem like she's not because she was so then we see Cody go to Janelle's house for the first time in like a month. I think it was four or five weeks that he did not come over to the house. 
And he's recording himself in the car and we're getting the scene. It's like Janelle talking about her perspective and Cody talking about his perspective about him coming back into the house. They didn't really fully explain this. I would have liked some more information about this, but Cody says like, he's feeling a little bit bitter about having to do this. But again, like he doesn't really fully explain why at the same time, Janelle's talking about how she's a little bit nervous to have Cody come back. And you know, like it's a little bit strange and she's worried about how things are going to be. And you know, we haven't been along this time. And I get that. Like, if you haven't seen your partner in a while and there's like a specific reason, I-, I could understand why there might be some nerves or just like anxiety about like, is it going to be the same? I think they're both being a little bit dramatic because when they see each other, it was actually really sweet. Cody hugs her immediately and he tells her, I miss you. And they, they look in each other's eyes and it's like they both knew how the other one was feeling and in that moment they knew it was going to be okay i have to say like i've said this before cody and janelle i think have the most like they're on each other's wavelength the most i think they respect each other the most i think cody respects janelle as like an not not an intellectual necessarily but i think they're just like they just really vibe like there's a respect a mutual respect there and a mutual like uh, what would be the word? Like a mutual, I don't know. They just like, they just like each other. You can tell that they just like each other as human beings. So then Goofus wants to cut a little attitude, chewing on his banana a little bit too hard, sir. And he's like kind of being shady towards his own father for not coming to the house. And it's like, bro, <laughs> it's because of you. You can't have it every single way sir this is not burger king anyway um so all the birthdays with the family are done because we've now had two episodes of like five people five different people's birthdays now it's time for mary and cody's 30th wedding anniversary holy shit you guys this was like the most uncomfortable and yet personally satisfying set of scenes that I have seen in Sister Wives history because I have been like if not for this episode I would be on my deathbed and the questions would be why do Cody and Mary continue to stay in this marriage or in this relationship when they don't fuck with each other Cody you really don't fuck with Mary why are you here Okay. Why are you staying? And I feel like we got a lot of questions answered. It's so much that I basically just like took notes on everything that I was, that was said because it was just a lot. So here we go. (sighs) Let's get into a right headspace, like get comfortable because it's about to get really, really uncomfortable. Okay. So Obviously, they can't really do a traditional, I don't know, go to a restaurant or whatever. So Cody orders some food and they decide to go for a drive and then go to this like wooded area to eat the food. Have a little picnic, right? So Mary says she's actually really excited to spend some time with Cody. Ooh, honey, honey, (laughs) it made me so sad and I had the right to be sad because Mary starts off by giving Cody a gift. She says, 
I have this like famous Rice Krispie recipe or I, I'm a bad bitch at Rice Krispies or whatever. He loves them. So I made them for him. So she gives him the bag with the Rice Krispies and she says, do you know how many Rice Krispies are in there? And he's like, mm, 18. And she's like, no, Cody. And he, it clicks in him and he's like, oh, <laughs> I think there are probably as many Rice Krispies as years that we've been married. He tried to get out of that, right? So Mary clocks and is like, yeah, Cody, how many Rice Krispies are in there? <laughs> He's like, uh, 31? And she's like, we've been married 30 years. And she makes a good point of like, this is kind of a, like a milestone. Like every five to 10, I think you should remember. If you can't remember, like... If, you know, anniversary number 17 doesn't necessarily ring in your head, I could get that. If you got to think about it, I get it. That's fine. I would not be that precious about it. But 30 is a pretty even number. And it's a big number. 30 years is a long time to... I mean, I can't say get be married in this case, but, you know, be in each other's lives, I guess. <laughs> but 30 years of, of forced interaction between one another. Um yikes 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 uh so then they get in the car mary decides to start us off being even more awkward by saying you know here we are celebrating our non-anniversary since we're not a couple but we're a family so like what are we what are we celebrating and cody's response is is it funny or is it just awkward and and odd I don't like it in here. I'm uncomfortable. And yet I'm loving it because I'm a petty bitch. <laughs> I'm evil, y'all. So then Mary says, you know, even though all the bad things that she and Cody, even though, even through all the bad things that she and Cody managed to come back to each other. But then she says that really hasn't happened in the past five or six years. But she says she knows where they both stand, which is that she would like to reconcile and that he wants to take things really, really, really slowly. And this is the part where I had to, like, be sad again, because we all know that that is not true. That even the very tiny little bit that Mary is giving, the little, just like little sun ray of hope is not even there. It doesn't exist. Honey. Mary, our sweet summer child. It's not even, he doesn't even want to give you that. He doesn't even want to move really slowly. He doesn't want to move at all. He doesn't want to move at all, girl. So if shit wasn't bad already, it goes from worse to worser. Mary brings up the fact that they had not been out with each other since last year's anniversary. And Cody says, yeah, that's like an indicator that we're maybe not really in a place where it matters that much. Are you brokenhearted by that? Is it troubling you? so this we get from here on out we get a lot of like cody explaining what he's saying to mary so we see this color conversation and also we see cody commenting on this like giving us a little bit more information on this situation so in an interview cody says you know i'm trying to make mary be honest about what it is that she's looking for like is there still a spark with her or is she just seeking any sort of company because she's lonely for anything. 
<laughs> then Cody says, you know, if we really wanted to do these things and be with each other and spend time together, then we would, right? And then he says in an interview, um, you know, our issues were happening before even Janelle entered the marriage. So we're talking... How long were they married before Janelle? Like maybe a year and a half, a couple years. So we're talking over 25 years of issues, of issues. And then he says, you know, the catfishing issue incident was like a really big wake up call. So Quiddy says that since the catfishing situation, he's been looking for some sort of sign or spark that is going to make him want to continue in this relationship, but it's not happened for him. So back in the car, Cody says, you know, I think we miss the idea of, of us, but we don't miss each other. And Mary says, speak for yourself. Girl, in an interview, back in the interview, Cody says, you know, I don't want to tell her where we're at. I want it to be an agreed upon situation. He, this is, this is what makes me mad about Cody because, I mean, in, in this particular situation, of course, but to me, it's like, you're not telling her the truth. You're trying to like do this lead a horse to water situation, but clearly she's not drinking it. She's not drinking what you like. You don't like her. Certainly don't love her. You don't want to be married with her. You don't want to hang out with her. You probably push her out of this car if you could right now. So why are we doing like, why are you trying to lead her towards that? Because very obviously she has feelings and it's like, he's trying to convince her out of her feelings to make it easier for himself. Right. But it's not going to work because it hasn't been working because you have been trying to do this for years now and the shit's not working, bro. Hi, I'm Daniel founder of pretty litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com So to add on to his confusing behavior on this whole situation, Mary says in an interview that Cody's told her that like she needs to make her feelings known. And if she wants to flirt with him, she needs to do that. But then she says it's like this weird thing of like, when I do do that, it makes him want to back off even more, which makes me not want to put myself out there because who wants to be rejected? But, you know, she's like, I want to put myself out there and I'm not giving up or walking away. So then Cody tells her, like, he says, like, he kind of wants Mary to start courting him. But then he says, like, I'm not suggesting that Mary chase me because it would be more off-putting. So she's right. 
but there has to be more magic than what we have. She's not making her making any effort. So where does that put us? She's not making any effort. I'm not making any effort. Where it puts you is in this car having this awkward ass conversation, Cody. Okay. Mary says, I've been waiting for you to be honest. And Cody says, you know, I'm not like, I'm not making an effort in this. And you're the one who wants it. (laughs) So like, what do you want, girl? Like, do you want her to try and then just get rejected and rejected and rejected? Or do you want her to not try? Like, it just doesn't make any sense to me. He says that, you know, Mary needs to make the effort. And if there happens to be a spark that from that, then she will receive the full benefits of a marriage, including a sexual relationship. Oh, thank you. Thank you, Cody. <laughs> thank you so much. That is so fucking shitty. That is shitty. Like, I understand how he might be hurt about the catfishing situation, but I feel like he's making the situation worse. And he's moving the goalposts and he's like trying to do this and like dangle this little treat, this little carrot at the end of this horse's mouth. Not that Mary's a horse, you guys, I'm sorry, but he, he's not making it easier for her and it's confusing. Like I'm listening to them and I'm thinking, well, no wonder, (laughs) no wonder they are in the place where they are because Really, I think it's more Cody's responsibility for where they're at now than it is Mary's. Like, who wants to keep being flirtatious with somebody and keep, like, trying to take it to the next level? At some point, if somebody keeps rejecting you, you're not going to want to do it. You know? (laughs) But then say, like, you need to be courting me. And then maybe I'll give you another clotter ring or something. But also, when you try it, I truly act like I want to zip, unzip my skin suit and run away. And then set it on fire. And then run away again. Like, what does he want? He really needs to figure it out. So then Cody kind of answers a question that we've all been wondering. Even though he just said all this confusing shit. Which is like, why don't you just break up with her? Right? Um, or, you know, whatever version of breaking up with somebody that you're not even together with looks like. He says, I'm never going to break up with her because my faith and my conscience won't allow me to tell Mary that she basically needs to go away. <laughs> but then he says that because he's not done that, that there's always a chance of them being getting back together. Okay, well, you have to try then. If there's a chance, then you need to, to let that be and, and let her do her thing. And you need to put the effort in too. Like he's wanting her to pick him up and then run through the Spartan race and then just put him down at the finish line. And at the end of it, maybe she can get married and, and some dick. That's, that's not going to work. That's never going to work, Cody. Mary starts to get emotional at this point. She's like, do you know how it feels? Like every time you put your hand on mine, like, I wish you knew how that felt. Like, I like it, you know, like, I just wish it, cause he was kind of intimating that like, maybe she's not into it. She's like, no, like you put your hand on my hand and I just feel a spark. And I wish that you knew that I felt that because maybe if you did, you would see that I'm really invested in this situation. 
and in this relationship and in the family, really. So then Mary says, you know, it's really hard to hear all the things that Cody's been saying, but I want to respect him by letting him say how he feels. And then Mary back in the car, she says, I know you loved me. I know you love me, Cody, because you would not have treated me the way you did if you didn't. And his response is to shrug and say, okay, I disagree. <laughs> so then this shit gets even, even wilder. And he says in an interview, I'm finally out of the anger phase and I'm finally out of the bitterness. So now how are we going to do this right? And Mary's like, well, you're going to have to love me. And I'm like, well, yeah, be lovable. Oh, that was the point where I gasped. Oh, that is fucking heartbreaking. <laughs> like, I don't care how I feel about Mary. I don't care how anybody feels about Mary. Telling somebody that they need to be lovable is so fucked up. <laughs> that is beyond. That's beyond. This You're saying like, you're not worthy of love. You're not doing the things that would make people want to love you. Damn. Damn. <laughs> Good Lord. So this is in the car. They haven't even eaten their meal yet. Apparently they've been driving for hours to this secluded space that I don't really understand. They could have just gone to Coyote Pass if they were going to sit in a plot of land. I didn't really get it. Um, so obviously production asked Mary in a confessional, like, is this how you pictured your anniversary? And she's like, no, <laughs> this, is, this is not how I, I did not think that there was going to be a car ride where we were nitpicking at each other. Like, no, obviously that's not how I picked my anniversary guys. No. <laughs> so they go out and they're sitting outside and she's recording him. And I guess the light goes on because it's dark at this point. It's dusk. And she makes some sort of in, in, innuendo about like, oh, how can I light you up? And he's like, he could not be less interested. And then he says, you know, I just spent hours explaining to her that we're not ready for romance yet. So like, why is she flirting with me? Right. <laughs> so then Mary says, you understand that I'm trying to flirt with you, right? Like, do you like it or does it gross you out? And he says, I'm not saying it's gross. <laughs> which is like you're not saying it's not gross okay and then mary says you know if i were to just lean over and kiss you right now would you push me away and he's like uh no do you want some corn i just opened this up and the corn is like really good like let's, let's just put some corn in our mouths how about that in an interview cody says you know <laughs> cody says i'm not into hookup culture <laughs> Imagine saying that about the person that you had a child with. What do you mean? It's not hooking up. You guys have had sex before. <laughs> but then he says, you know, like, I, I, you know, love and sex are one thing for me. And so I don't want to get physical with Mary if we're not in love. Okay, fine. F fine. But to call it, like, hooking up as if she's just some chick that you met, like, 
Ew. <laughs> so then Cody is in an interview and he brings up how like some situation. And again, I feel like they were not really telling us a lot, but they said a lot. So when they went up to Utah to go visit the Dargers, have that conversation. Conversation that they did not have, need to have in person, but whatever. We got to film a show, I guess. So Cody says that after that situation, after they got back from the Dargos, they were driving home and some big conversation happened between he and all the wives because they all drove together. And Robin says that the conversation turned really dark and it frightened and frustrated her. They didn't really get into the details, like I said, but you can piece together what exactly is happening. So I'm going to give my theory on the situation because then things start to really commingle and, and I got confused, honestly. So, um, Cody says like, I guess some of the wives had mentioned that they weren't really happy about being in plural marriage in that conversation. And Cody says at some point, like something broke him. He started feeling hopeless about their family arrangement and, it started to see a lack of real desire for them to be together. And then Cody says to Mary, like, I have a wife who will never be happy. But then right before that, they would started talking about the phone or the, the car conversation. And Mary was like, well, I'm not the one who said it. So that eliminates Mary. And he, cause he agreed. He's like, no, you're not the one I'm referring to right now. Clearly it was Christine. I mean, we've seen Christine in the beginning of the season say, like, I don't know if this is for me. I don't really like hanging out with my sister wives. I feel like when I'm around, everybody hates me. Like, clearly it's Christine because Janelle keeps talking about the family culture and how we need to remain together and be closer because otherwise, you know, it's just going to be harder to keep us together. Robin's been saying the same thing. Obviously, it's Christine. So, but he doesn't say it. And he says that he, like, is intentionally being vague. So it seems to me like Cody is trying to bring this up. I think he's trying to bring up Christine as an example for their situation, for he and and Mary's situation. So he's talking about, like, how frustrated he is. And he's getting into life. So what I think he's trying to say is, like, they were having this conversation. Christine said some shit. She was talking shit. She was pissed. She said some things that she probably shouldn't have said. And at that point, Cody lost it and was basically just like, I'm in my 50s at this point. I'm, it seems like you, Christine, have not been happy for the entirety of our marriage. I don't want to live the rest of my years with somebody who doesn't want to be in this. So when Mary asks, like, what do you want from your family? Cody says, I want wives who get along with each other and like each other and then don't sit there and say snotty, shitty little things to each other that break each other's hearts. So Cody says basically, like, like I said, he's too old to be spending the next decades of his life trying to fix relationships that aren't going to be fixed. In an interview, Mary says that Cody was the one, she and Cody were the ones who started this family. And she did not enter into this situation for Cody to say 30 years down the road that he really didn't want to do it. So she thinks that, like, he's trying to get out of it. He is saying that other people are trying to get out of it. I think what he's trying to say is, like, if you guys are going to keep complaining, then just leave. And don't drag me into it. Which I think is fair. Like, 
who wants to sit there and be with a partner who isn't happy? But also, Cody, you're not doing anything to make them happier. Again, he keeps putting the onus on everybody else. It's like, well, you're miserable too, Cody. And you're not doing anything to fix it. And it's like everybody else has to fix it. And he just has to sit there. And then at some point, he can decide whether or not this person has fixed it, whether or not they're okay. And then he wants to move forward in the relationship. And that's not fair. It's not fair at all. So then Cody says, again, another, a lot of confusing things. So like I said, Mary says, it's been 30 years. I'm not trying to walk away from this family. And Cody says, I'm not really motivated to sit here and talk about saving our marriage. But then he tells her to not feel defeated. (laughs) How, Sway? (laughs) How's that going to (laughs) work? I don't want to save our marriage, but don't feel bad about it, girl. Chin up. Nut up, buttercup. I mean, what is this man's problem? (laughs) So then Cody starts going off again. He's like, you know, I just don't want to have this big breakup. I want everybody to do their part and for it not just to be me. But I don't see what he is doing. (laughs) Because if all these people are unhappy, um, guess who the common denominator is, Cody? Thank you. Anyway, um, so Cody says that, like, Mary has a tendency to bully the other women into trying to fix the relationship between she and Cody. But she doesn't want to be accountable for the things that she's done to make it bad. And to which I say, Cody, you too, girl. You too. (laughs) What do you mean? I truly cannot believe he said, like, what are you, bro, bro. Anyway, you guys, that's the end. Sorry for the very long episode, you guys, but what a blast. Next week, I'll be back with full-on Sister Wives and Surviving Sister Wives. Thank you guys so much for listening. Thank me for speaking. If you guys want to leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, I would very much appreciate it. Love you. Bye.